0: Huey Long was the bull in the United States Senate's China shop. He stormed into the world's greatest deliberative body in 1932 after it had already been in session for two months. In a room full of men in dour blue suits, Huey wore flashy brown tweeds, beautiful white shirts of the finest fabric with his monogram embroidered on one sleeve, a bright red silk necktie, and according to one chastising reporter, a handkerchief regrettably on the pink side. It wasn't long, pun intended, before the Senate figured out that they had a real problem on their hands. But soon enough, there was another fellow in the Capitol who was even more worried about the storm from the bayou, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt. A pro-Huey newspaper, the Bogalusa News, suggested on January 9, 1931 that Huey run for president. He liked the idea. He thought his Senate seat would be just the thing to get him the kind of national platform he needed, to mount a serious campaign for the White House. He didn't think his fellow senators had to like him in order for his plan to work, so he didn't even try. He would wander around the Senate chamber while it was in session, taking any open seat. If he was bored, and he was often bored, he'd sit at a desk closest to the speaker and stare at him. Or he would loiter in the back of the chamber, grabbing any senator who passed by and lecturing him on the latest controversy. The United States Senate found Huey Long Exhausting. Senator Long didn't attend committee meetings. He was absent for 81 out of 137 days of the legislative session. As he had done in Louisiana, he showed up when he had something to say, like that day in April 1932 when he gave a speech calling for all fortunes to be limited to $100 million and the surplus divided among the poor. He claimed that corporate monopolies and maldistribution of wealth were root causes of the Depression, He called for a 65% tax on incomes over $2 million. He called his little tirade the doom of America's dream. His proposed bills went nowhere in the Senate. One senator said, I don't believe he could get the Lord's Prayer endorsed in this body. But as always, other politicians weren't really Huey's audience. The common voters were, and they loved the idea of blaming rich people and big companies for their problems they were definitely on board with taking some of that money back for themselves. The American people have rarely been huge fans of Congress, so they delighted in Huey's antics in the Senate. He moved to have the senior senator from Arkansas removed as minority leader, saying that Democratic Senator Joe Robinson was in the pocket of his corporate backers. He accused the senator of using his Senate seat to line his pockets, and said the Depression was the result of a conspiracy between Robinson, Herbert Hoover, financier Bernard Baruch, and Eugene Meyer, governor of the Federal Reserve Bank. He suggested Democrat Robinson join Republican Hoover's presidential ticket as vice president in 1932. He even attacked Robinson's appearance, saying Joe doesn't look really as well with his hair dyed. This prompted Senator Reed of Pennsylvania to invoke a Senate rule prohibiting one member from personally attacking another. A few days later, when Vice President Curtis was presiding over the Senate, Likely summoned there in an effort to control the unruly kid in the room, Huey was ordered to return to his seat by the Vice President of the United States himself. A few days after that, upon finishing another attack on Robinson, Huey loudly resigned all of his committee assignments, which one reporter said makes one think of the schoolboy who won't play on the school ball team because the players won't let him pitch. Crowds of people filled the Senate galleries to see Huey's performances, and they laughed and applauded his antics. On one occasion where the crowd got particularly riled up at Huey's show, the presiding officer of the Senate threatened to clear the gallery. Senator Alvin Barkley, future vice president, said, When the people go to the circus, they ought to be allowed to laugh at the monkey. The show went on. One of the spectators in these sessions was a congressional aide from Texas named Lyndon B. Johnson who asked the Senate doorkeeper to let him know whenever Huey was about to speak. For leading the masses and illustrating your point humanly, Huey Long couldn't be beat, Johnson said later. I was simply entranced by Huey Long. Future President Johnson might have learned a thing or two from the kingfish. His close-talking, bullying style as Senate Majority Leader and later President echoed Huey's own tactics of persuasion. But Senate gallery crowds and the occasional disparaging mention of Huey by the hostile Washington Press Corps wasn't going to get him the national attention he needed if he was going to make a run for the White House. He had to get out of town and find something to do that would get him in front of a larger crowd. Hetty Carraway was the junior senator from Arkansas, appointed to her seat when her husband died. She was heading for re-election in 1932 with no money and facing six male opponents who each had lengthy political experience. No woman had ever been elected to the Senate for a full term, and she wasn't sure she should run. She entered the race anyway. She told reporters, the time has passed when a woman should be placed in a position and kept there only while someone else is being groomed for the job. Her friends told her she had no chance of winning. Hattie wrote in her journal, guess my political life is nearly over. Huey Long found her on the Senate floor in May 1932 and told her, in his usual forthright style, That she was going to lose for sure Hattie went back to her desk covered her face with her hands and cried Huey was so moved by this that he went to her office later that day and offered to help her win we'll put on a campaign they'll never forget he promised Hattie wasn't sure she should take Huey's help in the Senate he was just the annoying loud guy who was always getting in trouble But with no other option she agreed making Huey promise that he wouldn't use the campaign to attack the other senator from her state, his enemy Joe Robinson, and that he wouldn't try to control her votes in the future. Huey had genuine sympathy for the widow, and she had voted for some of his proposals. Like him, Hattie was an atypical senator, and she was a thorn in the side of stuffy conservatives. And the campaign would get Huey the spotlight he wanted. So he went to Arkansas.
1: We couldn't keep train wrecks on the tracks without you. Please visit support.historystrainwrecks.com for all the ways you can help keep train wrecks on the tracks.
0: A cyclone just went through here and is headed your way. A reporter telegraphed some friends in Little Rock, Arkansas on the first day of August 1932. Very few trees left standing. Huey Long brought a caravan of motorcycle cops, sound trucks, and limousines to meet Hattie Carraway at her first campaign stop in Magnolia, Arkansas. I'm here to get a bunch of pot-bellied politicians off this little woman's neck, he told the crowd, launching into a vigorous speech in which he sweated through his coat. The campaign was called A Circus Hitched to a Tornado. Bigger and bigger crowds turned out to see the show reaching as high as 5,000. Huey spent a week campaigning, giving six speeches a day. In eight days, they covered over 2,000 miles and delivered two tons of circulars spouting Hattie's platform and Huey's plan to share the wealth. It is estimated that 200,000 Arkansans heard Huey speak that week. On August 9, 1932, Hattie Carraway won the nomination for Senate, carrying 61 of the 75 counties in the state. That fall, she became the first woman elected to a full Senate term in a landslide. Known as Silent Hattie, she spoke only 15 times on the Senate floor during her terms. She served until 1945. She was the first woman to chair a Senate committee and the first woman to preside over the Senate and the first woman to run a Senate hearing. She told reporters that she stayed quiet because I have not the heart to take a minute away from the men. The poor dears love it so. She was a supporter of FDR saying he fumbles, but he fumbles forward. Huey Long didn't exactly hit it off with the New York governor looking to unseat the increasingly unpopular Herbert Hoover in the 1932 presidential race. He met with Al Smith, who was running against FDR for the Democratic nomination a few months before the convention. Huey had already decided to support Roosevelt, but wanted to stay on the good side of Smith. He did that by getting drunk in their meeting, and his racial views offended the liberal Smith, who called the man who had set up his meeting with Huey and said, Come get this fellow, otherwise I'm going to throw him off the roof. At the 1932 convention, a reporter asked Huey if he would accept a spot on the ticket as Roosevelt's vice president. Huey Long ain't vice to anybody or anything, he replied. Roosevelt needed Louisiana's support to win the nomination, so he put up with Huey's antics. Louisiana had sent two sets of opposing delegates to the convention, one-headed by Huey after he forced the State Democratic Committee to appoint him. His many enemies in Louisiana refused to accept the decision and sent a different set of delegates composed mainly of former governors. Huey dismissed them as just a bunch of exes. The two delegations had to argue before the Credentials Committee to be recognized as the official representatives of Louisiana. One of the exes, J.Y. Sanders, made a lukewarm speech. After that, Huey had 45 minutes to make his case. Everyone expected one of his legendary harangues, but Huey realized that this was not the place for it and delivered a reasoned argument backed up by sound legal reasoning. The speech, delivered in front of the entire convention, was broadcast by radio throughout the country. Huey said that his delegation represented the future, containing Louisiana's incumbent congressmen and senators and current governor, as well as the mayor of New Orleans. How could the convention refuse to seat these men, he asked. Although he had been met with boos at the beginning, by the end of his speech, Huey was being cheered. Famed lawyer Clarence Darrow said the speech was one of the greatest summaries of fact and evidence he had ever heard. The humorist Will Rogers said that Huey had won his own game. The committee voted and Huey's delegation was seated. The X's were shut out. Huey used his new official status and his usual bullying tactics to keep the other southern delegations in Roosevelt's corner. He told a Mississippi delegate and senator, If you break the unit rule, you son of a bitch, I'll go into Mississippi and break you. He made the same threat to the Arkansas delegation. With southern support, FDR got the Democratic nomination on the fifth ballot. Roosevelt knew he could beat Herbert Hoover easily, but then the clock was ticking. If his administration didn't handle the Depression quickly, the people would turn to more radical leaders, as the people of Germany and Italy had done. Huey offered to campaign in all 48 states for Roosevelt, bringing his circus to town for the benefit of the nominee. James Farley, Roosevelt's campaign manager, turned him down. Farley regarded Huey as somewhat of a freak. Huey and FDR met at Hyde Park a month before the 1932 election. Huey dominated the conversation, lecturing FDR about the country's economic conditions. Sarah Delano, FDR's mom, asked from her end of the dinner table, who is that awful man? After leaving, Huey said, by God, I feel sorry for him. He's got more sons of bitches in his family than I got in mine. He's not a strong man, but he means well. No one seemed to take Huey very seriously in the Roosevelt camp except for FDR himself. The people are jumpy and ready to run after strange gods, he wrote. It is all very well for us to laugh over Huey, but actually we have to remember all the time that he really is one of the two most dangerous men in the country. We shall have to do something about him. Franklin Roosevelt was certainly a visionary. He knew things for sure long before others came around to his point of view. He saw Huey Long as a self-obsessed man with huge ambitions who would stop at nothing to get what he wanted, even if it meant damaging the country. Like challenging Roosevelt for the nomination in 1936 or running as an independent, splitting the Democratic vote, and throwing the country to the Republicans for four years so that Huey could come back and win the White House in 1940. Which, as it turns out, was exactly what Huey Long was planning to do. On our next episode... Franklin Roosevelt wins the presidency in the job of doing something about the Great Depression before it's too late and someone else comes along to take him out. In the meantime, Huey Long starts on his long-term plan to take FDR out. Stay tuned for The Most Dangerous Man in America, Part 5.
1: There was a time when we used to travel the open road and pull into a highway diner and meet fascinating people, hear incredible stories, and learn about new ideas. Now I was taught at a young age that you should always sit at the counter. Not only did you meet the most interesting people, but you also got the best service and hottest coffee. Now the open highway brings that concept, (laughs) not the coffee, the other stuff. To a weekly podcast. Interviews, current events, news, odd stories, and more. I'm your host, Eric Erickson. I'm an author, writer, and journalist, and I've had incredible adventures, and I bring all of those experiences to the show. I know a little bit about everything, and it's just enough to get me into trouble. So join me for the Open Highway, available wherever you find your favorite podcasts.